Hello, everybody. My name is Hunter Young, and this is the Sons of Liberty podcast. We have a very special guest today, Neil Eaton. Thank you for having us. We're uh, at New Hope Church in downtown Plymouth. Uh, we've been focusing a bit on politics lately, so it's good to have a pastor on, hopefully a more calming voice. We uh, get a little bit crazy sometimes, so yeah, <laughs> we, uh, we need that. Um, so yeah, if you just want to start off, uh, give us a summary of like your story, your, your testimony, and uh, how you got into ministry, and uh, all that. So What brought you to New Hope Chapel? Okay. Yeah, first of all, I can't wait to hear the crazy side of that. <laughs> into that. Um, so I was saved through a Billy Graham tele televised broadcast I was watching when I was 12 years old. I was home alone. Um, and I, I was kind of going through some stuff. I was actually, I think, being drawn into the world at that time, right at that time, very, very tempted to to jump in. Uh, and because, you know, my cousins and other friends were just diving into sin. And uh, right then, I was home one night on a Friday night, just, and I saw Billy Graham. And the message seemed really clear to me, made sense. And right there in the living room there at 696 Commercial Street in Weymouth, Massachusetts, I, I bowed, I knelt down, put my elbows on the rocking chair, and said the prayer. Mm. And that began, that began a process in my life to follow Christ. And it wasn't long after that my parents divorced, and it was very hard for us. I was 15. So I felt like, because I wasn't mature in my understanding of the gospel, I felt like God let me down, and my parents let me down, so I'm going to, in turn, go ahead and jump into sin. Mm -hmm. So I walked in that walk. It was dark. It was, it was lousy. You know, I was, had my license. I was getting drunk and meeting kids and partying and doing things I regret, and um, then that compounded it because now I had guilt in my life, and I didn't understand really the sacrifice that Christ made and, and the level of impact it have on my life if I finally understood it. Well, fast forward, I got married at 19. Uh, I had a business that I started at 19, thriving, doing well. And my wife got pregnant around when I was around 24 with our first kid. And that year is when I read through the Bible myself from Genesis to the end. Mm. And I got to Romans, and I feel like that's when I really got saved. Mm. Because it says, and Abraham believed, and it was accounted unto him as righteousness. So I realized the gospel isn't, doesn't mean that I'm going to get good and then God's going to approve of me. The gospel meant Jesus already paid the price and cried, it is finished on the cross. Mm. And that love leveled me in the moment. I realized, wow, like if I put all my faith and trust in him and not my works, then I'm completely saved completely forgiven. All my past is washed away. And I was flooded in that moment with, with like gratitude um, that Jesus, everything he did, did take care of everything, past, present, future. And out of the gratitude flowed, like because of his love, I couldn't stop telling everybody about Jesus. That's the point where maybe that's the real place that I was saved. Who knows? It's a process. I think Jesus just said, follow me, and along the way you get it. Um, mm. And I got it then. The penny dropped. Everything changed. I wanted to live for Jesus. I wanted to serve in my church. I wanted to do everything I could to serve Jesus. Not because I'm going to earn something, but because I've already gained everything. Yeah. And so uh, I was ministering 
in my business, with my employees. I was ministering to, with my customers. I was sharing Christ. I was leading people to Christ. And people were saying, you're a pastor. And I'm like, no, I'm not. <laughs> I'm just like a business guy that loves Jesus. And, and I believe that, you know, if you're faithful with where you are, God will bring you. He's the one that promotes. Not that I was looking for promotion, but he has a promotion for you in your faithfulness. And um, yeah, so I, I, I became a men's pastor in my church, men's leader in my church. I became an associate pastor. The pastor that I was serving under said, someday you're going to be a senior pastor. That was a prophetic voice that I never could ever have imagined, but he was right. And uh, in 2002, we planted New Hope Chapel of Plymouth with 50 people. Wow. And, I remember uh, seeing photos of the first service. Yeah. I, I think it was on the, the, the documentary, which yeah. we'll get into. Yeah, we had some gatherings. It was more like some of the gatherings that we okay. had, like smaller groups. But yeah, those, those pictures I would, I would like to go through and pick the, the other ones. But yeah, yeah. It, showed, it showed our group together. Yeah, it's interesting you bring up how um, starting a relationship with Jesus is a process. I mean, for myself, I grew up in the church, homeschooled my whole life. So I was in it, you know, and really in the church culture. Um, and, and I know that for certain. I didn't become a Christian till I was 13, um, but it wasn't a... But Jesus was not my first was not my Lord for many years yeah. so until I was probably 16, maybe 15 or 16. So it was definitely a process. And even before that, I probably would have said I was a Christian when I was like eight, nine or 10, just because I was growing up in the church. But it wasn't until um, 13 that I actually put my faith in Christ um, and then beginning to actually follow Jesus in, you know, I'm 18 now. So it was probably like around 16 that I actually chose to follow the Lord. But I mean, I've always heard that there's a difference between being saved and being a disciple. Would you, what, what would you, what do you think about oh, 100%. that? Okay. Yeah. It doesn't stop when you're saved, you know, like when you obey Christ, when the gospel is presented to you by you obey by receiving and responding, repenting for your sin. That's the first step of thousands to come. Because a disciple means I'm obeying each command constantly, continually in my walk with Christ, right? Mm -hmm. um, I'm like progressing forward in sanctification um, to, to honor Jesus, you know? And we're, we're, we're fumbling our way through that, but we need to continually be growing. And that's, I think, evidence that you are saved. Right. You're moving yeah. forward. Yeah, like for me, I, I mean, I got saved uh, two years ago, two and a half, when I was 16. And I remember the first like few months, like I, I, I said like a prayer and I, I, I felt something was, was different. But I, I would always be like, okay, this time I'm saved. Like I would say like the sinner's prayer. I was like, okay, now this time I'm saved. Now this time I'm saved. And it was always about like something, even if me saying the words in a wrong way would mean somehow that I'm not saved. But when I heard the analogy that like when you are when you're saved, it's Jesus's righteousness. God doesn't see you positionally; He sees yeah. Jesus, and that was huge. For, I'm like, oh, that's what I. That's what you're I was in Christ. Yes, I'm in Christ. That's it. So it's not even. Yeah. It's not even me yeah. anyway. Like I don't have to worry. Yeah. He's already finished the work, and and then like the song Jesus paid it all was like, I played that song on repeat, repeat for like three months probably, um, but yeah, I think that, and then now like I've I've been focusing, and obviously the the two and a half years I've I've still been an idiot and messed up a lot but just knowing that having that blessed assurance knowing that wherever you're at jesus can take you out of the the muck that you're in 
and can change you wherever you're at because he has paid it all and that's it so for me that was the thing and that has to be the prerequisite for our good works to even you know really yeah yeah have you i mean um i love the have you ever heard gospel versus religion tim keller talks about that yeah that's what happened to me i was really looking at scripture as religion without knowing it because religion says um I obey, therefore I'll be accepted. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. So that that acceptance rarely ever fully comes. Right. With a full assurance. But the gospel says I'm accepted in Christ, therefore I obey. Mm-hmm. Right. So I had it reversed until I read the actual Bible <laughs> <laughs> instead of it coming through somebody else. Right. Yeah. Yep. And I happened to be under, for my formative years in my teenage years, under a very legalistic pastor mm. who was always giving the thou shalts and the thou shalt nots. So I felt condemned when I finally did rebel. When I did go into full rebellion, I now felt condemned, mm. filled with shame and guilt, and that'll never motivate you. It's only the true gospel that you are accepted when you turn to Christ. Therefore, mm. you live a life of obedience. And that removed, the moment I've read, I got into Romans, it removed every bit of every shred of guilt and shame, and I knew I was a son. Right. And now I wanted to be the son that honored his heavenly father. Right, and it becomes something you get to do, not something yeah. you have to do. So I think that's a huge difference. The burden that's that's lifted when you right. move from from having to do it, from getting to do it because of what Christ did, it's, it's huge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so yeah. you started New Hope Chapel 2002, you said? 2002. That's crazy. So now we're 2024, <laughs> and... You guys came out with a, uh, you're building a church, you're building a new church, uh, church building, and you guys came out with a a mini documentary called America's Hometown Revival. And I watched it. It's incredible. It's unbelievable. You went on uh, Eric Metaxas, the Eric Metaxas show about a month ago, I would say, uh, to promote it and just to talk about what the Lord is doing in New England, specifically in America's hometown. Can you talk about the documentary, what, w- what it was like to make that, and then also about the, the new church that you're, that you're starting? Yeah, so uh, right before we were at Eric Metaxas, we were at the TBN studios also talking about it because they wanted to have me come in. So it was really a really great opportunity that God opened the doors. Um, so we stepped out in faith because... It's funny, we grew to where we are now without one owning one single parking spot. And um, as you see, we're downtown Plymouth. Um, but God provides it through public parking and all that. But So we, we were meeting next door to where we are right now. We were meeting at Memorial Hall for our larger services, two services. This building you're in, we met for an 830. The building over there, big concert hall, we met for our second service at 10.30. And we were growing, growing, but because it's a big facility over there, the parking is limited. So we were really growing. We had never not grown all the way to 2018 from 2002, incremental growth, right? You can see the bar charts. But what happened is we said, why did we stop around 2018? Why did we balance out? Why did we plateau? Well, we discovered that we had a guy out in the parking lot every single Sunday and watched and observed and collected data. People would fill the parking lot. New people would come, circle around, around, 
two or three times and then go home mm. because there was nowhere to go. So we said, we need to build a building. So we decided to buy land. In 2000, uh, 2020, we bought 18 and a half acres. Wow. And um, it's in the woods. Right now, we have our coastal um, campus here, right on the ocean. That's going to be in the woods. Um, and it's beautiful, big, tall pine trees. So we had bought it then, and you know we've been now, the foundation is pretty much done now, and we're about to build this year, and we hope to be in, in the fall here of 2024. So we, when I was thinking about the debt that I would be incurring, I was praying through it, and I, f I sensed the Lord say, this is going to be paid in full. You will not be in debt for long. Uh, and then I felt, I sensed that God said, make, tell your story, tell your story via video through a documentary. So I pulled together some of our media people here, and we worked together and created a documentary and told the story. So when I say America's Hometown Revival, we at New Hope are experiencing a revival. Mm. And it's a little scary to say that because people misconstrue, oh, what do you guys think you are, you know, da-da-da. We don't think anything of us. We think about what God is doing, yeah. and he is bringing the drug addicts toward freedom. Mm. Uh, we are seeing so many people, not just drug addicts, of course, but families, uh, raising children, small kids, good people trying to live right, they're realizing the gospel also saves them. And so we're seeing across the board, on all age groups, so many people turning to Jesus. Every single week, we just had um, eight people this week. This is just this week. Last week, there was a number. Every week, there's a number of people that are responding to the gospel, and then we move them into discipleship because we get them into our growth track. So we created the video because we wanted to tell the world the story. And I just felt a great assurance. God said, tell your story. I will provide. Mm -hmm. So we're just obedient to that. And so we're telling, we just got a check from somebody in Texas. We don't even know for $500 the other day. Wow. Just, hey, saw the video. Believe in what you're doing. We want to help support it. We had wow. been up against so much resistance uh, through a very small group of people. Hmm. A butters, uh, one, one, you know, one couple kind of got everybody going and uh, up, uh, worried about things that aren't going to happen, kind of thing. Um, so, you ever hear of NIMBYs? You know what a NIMBY is? No, I've not heard of that. NIMBY is people that say, not in my backyard. Okay. So it so started with people. one person, okay. you know, the, the, you know the, the sky is falling. Yep. You know, everything's going to fall apart when, they, when the church moves in. And then they got some neighbors going, and we love our neighbors. We pray for them. We respect them, but that is the story. And they would come to town hall meetings. We had many town hall meetings. Our church would show up, maybe 125, 150 of us. They would the town would put us through three-hour long meetings, and there were people there trying to just really vehemently trying to stop us. Mm. And we, we never would have imagined in America's hometown, which began as a church plant from Leiden, mm -hmm. Holland. You know, they were from England, went to Leiden, Holland for a while, and then ended up here. That church transplanted here. This nation began in this town as a church plan, <laughs> right. 400 years later, they're saying, no, you, we don't not want you to have backyard. a church. <laughs> yeah, not in my backyard. That's crazy. I, in, the, in, the, in the mini doc, you were talking about um, the, uh, about you know, halfway through or so, you were talking about 
the um, the issue with the zoning board and the the day that you finally got oh, yeah. oh, the yeah. the yes, go build your church from the zoning board, and that, that was really powerful. Just it like bringing you through the documentary. I mean, just from a filmmaker's perspective, I'm, I love to nerd out about that stuff. It was just so cool. Like, I can't believe you guys did that. Just th- yeah. that's everybody here from your church. So it was just your media team the, who who put that together. The, the uh, yeah, the, the media team. Yeah, that's small incredible. Group. Yeah, I mean, j- uh, just incredible. The cinematography was beautiful. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Um, we have it, some very gifted people here. Yeah, you do. It is incredible. <laughs> yeah. The way it just. I want to get your executive producer to meet some of the people that we have here because you do a good. Oh, job. Yeah, he's not. Yes, I think that's. <laughs> yeah, I think he's down. Yeah, it's crazy the way you just, it just started up and then it and it brought you down and then yeah. and then it's like yes, go build your church and it was a boom right oh, into I'm the so end. I'm so grateful for that then, chairman because yeah. he knew that the resistance was wrong. Mm. And it wasn't based on facts. Mm-hmm. And uh, when he said that, he said, go build your church, have fun. Oh, that's <laughs> awesome. Have fun. You know, and I'm like, the whole, our whole, ch- everyone that was there, we had a, we couldn't <laughs> clap. We couldn't celebrate. <laughs> we couldn't do anything. But we got out in the hallway and we were hooting and hollering. That's awesome. Uh, right, right at the town hall. It's really nice. Yeah, that must have taken the spirit to have the patience yeah. to not just do that. So. Yeah. So real quick yeah. about the revival, what we're seeing is multitude of salvations, baptisms. But what we're seeing, we're seeing, yeah, what we're seeing is the works that Jesus did. Mm-hmm. You know, Jesus healed the sick. Jesus um, delivered people from demonic influence in their lives. We're seeing that all the time. So when I, when you ask about revival, not only are we seeing people respond to the gospel by coming and becoming born again but god is changing their lives completely and it's awesome because if jesus did this all the time his church should be doing these things all the time right yeah so. yeah i mean uh i mean i got saved young and i think that these this generation my generation gen z i think we're looking for answers i think we've seen i think covid was actually a big way to for people to open their eyes and kind of see the way the world works and be like yeah. you know I'm upset, and I think it took a lot of people through a dark place, but I think God is using that because God works all things together for good, obviously. And yeah. I think we're seeing the, the fruit of that in the, the heart after after God. And I think a lot of people don't even know it. They have a heart after after truth and after something, and then you find, oh, the truth is a person because Jesus says, I am the way and the truth yeah. and the life. So I think it's awesome seeing it all play together. And, you know, we it's easy to be hopeless and say, oh, you know, uh, the things in the world that's going on are terrible. But yet here in America's hometown— God's doing things that are yeah. that he, he's always done, and he, he's yeah. going to keep doing we it. We have a tremendous group of young people, too, a lot yeah. of Gen Z, millennials, that are fired up. I just hired a Gen Z pastor mm. who's like an amazing preacher. He just came out of Bible school. He's raring to go. That's he awesome. just told me, he said, Pastor, uh, last night, Wednesday, we have our, the gathering. He said, um, yeah, two, two more people came into the kingdom. Last week it was... I think he said nine hands went up. Well, we don't know what that means, other than people are moving toward Christ. Yeah. We th- we hope it means they were born again, um, but whatever it means in them, we you know it's exciting to see. Yeah. Right? How can how do you think we can use? Obviously, we're we're in America's hometown, and the title of the documentary was that. How do you think we can use the history of Plymouth to like uh, advance that? use the gospel in it and say, you know, look at what these people did. They came from a church plant, like you said. How do you think we can use the history of, you know, you look at even just being around in downtown Plymouth, all the history that's right in front of us. How do you think we can use that? I think we can look back to a very dedicated, serious people 
who were very serious about gospel advancement, the glory of God, and creating some just and equal laws. Um, and some of those were religious uh, freedom. But the covenant that they made with God and each other and, they, and, and the prayers that they prayed, God does not um, ignore our prayers. Their prayers went up to heaven. And they were believing and hoping for a future generation where they laid the stepping stones and they could continue the, the, the passion. They could continue the gospel work of what they wanted to do. And I would say, let's look at the roots, right? So we can, in our day, bear the fruit of what they prayed for, they covenanted for. And we should take great hope in that. It wasn't a waste of time that they crossed the, the Atlantic came over here. They lost half of their people uh, believing by faith that this was worth it. And look at what God has done in this nation. Right. The enemy's trying to steal it now. So we ought to say, no, we're, we're not going to let him have it. We're not going to give it away. We're going to consecrate our lives to Christ, and we're going to serve him and glorify his name. And in doing so, we're going to preach the gospel. So that should give us tremendous hope and passion and resolve to say no more. I'm not going to let. I'm not going to let it, demonic forces take us take down what God wants for this nation. Amen. Yeah. So you have a, a lot of young people in your church, yeah. and you have the ministries. What advice would you give to to churches who are maybe maybe older and that are kind of discouraged and for bring to bringing young people in, but also not only bringing them in, but discipling them, because you, you see some like youth group culture where it's just the watered-down version of the gospel. Yeah. So how, how would you say like to balance bringing young people in, but also not losing the truth of the gospel? Mm. Yeah. What we did is we hired young, we, and we platform young. Uh, people that we trust, people that have the character that are developing. Um, and you can't expect... If you don't invest in the next generation, you can't expect to see the next generation just breaking down the doors to come in your church. Right. And you have to have a vision for the next generation. You can't just be about your comfort hmm. and ease. Because what I found is whenever I bring a next generation leader and we put them at the table and we give them a voice, we change the way we do things. The, the message never change changes. But the methods have to change because with each generation comes a different uh, way of seeing life, a different way of approaching life. So if we're not willing to, to change our methodology, we're, you might as well just say, okay, we're just going to sacrifice a generation mm -hmm. because of our own conveniences. Can't do it. That's, yeah. Jesus changed his methodology a lot to accommodate the context and the people that he was with. Yeah, I think, uh, have you seen the movie Jesus Revolution? I, love I it. think it's such a good example of, of that. You look like the hippie culture. Yeah. You're like, oh, God. I lived it. I was there. Yeah, that's <laughs> They're all. They're not all gone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I used to have hair like you. <laughs> and um, it's like to see, like, and then the, the picture of the, the guy watching, washing the people's feet. Oh, yeah. And it's cool to see, like, the same exact thing Jesus did you can do through through these people in today's time. And I think it's it's so encouraging, and I would give a shout-out to that that movie. Chuck Smith was on the cutting edge. You can teach old dogs new tricks. And he decided he was going to embrace that, that generation. 
that needed Jesus so desperately because the culture created a big vacuum in their lives. They were going for sex, drugs, rock and roll, and that's what they, they thought, you know, just freedom, sexual revolution, freedom uh, from any, any constraints, and it brought them into a very a pit of emptiness. Mm. And that, that created a perfect opportunity for the gospel to come in, and Chuck Smith stepped into it. He wasn't the only one. There were other leaders uh, along the, the, um, the, you know, the West that were doing it too, the West Coast. But I ended up getting the benefits of it traveling across the country mm. to the East Coast. That's when I first came to Christ at 12, which built with Billy Graham. So there were some good th seeds being planted in my life mm. because my youth group leader was a drug addict who was hitchhiking from the East Coast to the West Coast. He ran out of money, him and his buddy. They had no money. They were desperate. They were starving. And one guy picked him up and said, hey, if you go to church with me, I'll bring you home, give you some dinner. You can take a shower. And he goes to church. Teen Challenge was there. He ended up never going to the guy's house. He ended up going to Teen Challenge to get completely discipled, came back, and was my youth leader. Wow. So that, that passion, that energy was a seed in me that said, I want to be like him. Mm -hmm. I want to have that passion. Yeah, that takes some that takes some real biblical manhood to be able to do that, and to be able to do what Chuck Smith did, um, to have the courage to stick out, even among the church community, as kind of like the oddball. You know, even among his church in, in the movie Jesus Revolution, there yeah. there were people in his church who who were not who was not they they didn't like way the, the direction that Chuck Smith was taking their church body, but that takes real biblical manhood to actually stick out and yeah. and to and to do that in that generation, in this generation, how, what does it look like for biblical manhood to lead the culture and to lead the church? You have to block out the, the voices that are trying to steal the masculinity of a man. And you have to look at Jesus because manhood and Christ likeness are synonymous. So we have to look at Jesus, how he lived, how he spoke, how he walked. And and not be afraid to be bold, not be afraid to speak truth. Of course, you're only as good as the way you live your life as far as whether people would take you seriously or not. So I think man, and I, I borrow this from Edwin Lewis Cole, who if you have not heard him preach, he was a prophetic voice to our culture in the 80s um, and 90s. But he says, you know, he said manhood and Christ-likeness are synonymous. We don't have to wonder what kind of man we should be. We already know. We're supposed to follow Jesus. And so the more courageous men become and, and shut down the voices that say you can't be a man. I say this is a time where we need true men who aren't afraid of being, you know, accused of... Uh, you know, masculinity or whatever. We are made as male. God made us to be masculine. So we need to be masculine. And that never means abuse. Mm -hmm. It never means inequality. It never means anything like that. It means to be like Jesus, yeah. who raised up the marginalized and saw everyone as equal, uh, but he never abused it uh, to a point where people, people were um, subservient to him. He said, I didn't come to serve, but to... I didn't come to be served, but to serve. And so, but I think what's lacking is manly voices in the culture. Mm. And um, we've, we've 
surrendered to the feminization of manhood, which is demonic. <laughs> that's good. It is. Yeah, and I think today, I think that's, men are very, they feel beaten down and you look at the suicide rates and it's good as Christians, like we have the answer. We need to be out there. You say, oh, you wonder what a man looks like? Oh, you know, God became a man. I think that that would probably be the best example. <laughs> yeah. You know, the one who created men becoming there you a go. man. Yeah. <laughs> pretty, pretty simple, you know. So I think that we need to stop as Christians acting like that, uh, you know, the gospel is so confusing or, or who Jesus is is so confusing because it's all, it's all right there. And, and as a man, especially, it's like, like he's right there. He's a man. And, and yeah. it's, it's so clear that his example, um, is again, um, a testament to how men should be and, and right. what it looks like. And we don't have to wonder, we don't have to look to Andrew Tate or we don't have to look to all these other people, all these, we idolize athletes, we idolize all kinds of different people. Yeah. But again, they become false idols. And I think that we need to, to throw them away and say, here's Jesus, the man, the quintessential man and, and be like him. So right. yeah. all these other fake men are, are really just boys who shave, you know? <laughs> and, um, and I think that, what society calls toxic masculinity, it, what they used to call toxic masculinity was that domineering man who, who was, you know, misogynistic. And I think it was an accurate representation of, of um, incorrect, how to use your masculinity incorrectly. But now what the culture calls toxic masculinity is just biblical masculinity. They demonize you as a man for wanting to provide, for wanting to serve others, for, for wanting to to have a wife and to have a lot of kids mm -hmm. like that. That's what it means to be a rebel these right. days is to get married young and have more kids than you can afford. Right. Like that's what it means to be a rebel. And that's what they call to toxic masculinity. I mean, that's crazy. So the church has such an opportunity to reach out to young men, especially in new England. I mean, we're a new England, new England based podcast. We're trying to reach out to the young men, especially of new England. We have such an opportunity to reach those people because they are starving for truth, especially mm -hmm. in my generation. They're starving for something that's real. They're starving for meaning, and and men get meaning through work, through determination. Yeah, um, they get meaning through having a family and serving God and 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 serving a vision that is bigger than themselves. Mm -hmm. And the church has such an opportunity, not to be like, oh, we don't get political. We're not going to talk about the 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 political issues of the day like abortion or transgenderism. But but there but the church should say, hey, you know. You're, you should, you know, as a man, fight for something that is bigger than yourself. And us as the church can be like, hey, join us. We're fighting for Christ. We're bringing the gospel. Right. Like that's the largest and greatest vision you could fight for. So how are you, how do, how are you navigating uh, in your church talking on culturally sensitive issues uh, that, that the culture says that are political aren't actually they're not actually political. Things like... They're moral. Yeah, they're moral. Yeah, things like there are two genders, life begins at conception. Absolutely. Very yeah. basic things yeah. that our nonsensical culture has trouble wrapping their minds around. How do you as a senior pastor in a very liberal and godless area navigate political, quote, political issues? The Bible says speak the truth in love. So you do both. Speak the truth. Boom. How? In love. Don't speak the truth if love isn't the motivation. If you're just angry about the world and the culture, don't speak the truth. Speak the truth with a motivation of love. So if I speak on LGBTQ issues, I make sure 
that I have the love of Christ for every LGBTQ person. If I speak about abortion, I make sure that I have great love for the woman who found herself in a place where she was afraid, didn't have support, that I have a great love for her. So I do both. I speak the truth boldly, but I speak the truth in love. And then I always say how we're all sinners. We violated God's law. We all deserve judgment from God. But that's why God sent his great mercy. So you always need to present the truth of sin that demands repentance. That's being prophetic. And then you always have to preach grace, right? Because for those who do repent, there's grace for you. We're, and then we're all on the same level playing field. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Um, so here's what I think churches need to step in. We're very good at bringing a pastoral message, but have we been faithful with bring, bringing a prophetic message? When I say prophetic, I'm not, I don't mean in this case speaking uh, future events, like speaking, you know, pre predicting the future. I'm speaking like John the Baptist was a prophetic voice in culture. He spoke plainly, boldly. He was not afraid to be direct about the, the problems that people, the sin that people were bringing. We need, so there's an overemphasis in some camps on the pastoral where we're going to, oh, it's all grace and God will forgive you. And that's so necessary and important. But many times it's absent from the prophetic, bold proclamation of mm. sin. The two have to go together all the time. Mm. Yeah, so and you I need to know that this God is offended by your sin um, and that it's wrong and, and the wrath of God is coming because of it. But Jesus came to absorb, absorb the wrath of God for your sin. And if you will trust him, repent for your sins and believe in him, you can be completely forgiven. And so that, that it has to be combined all the time. Yeah, and I think the other end of that is speaking the truth, but only speaking the truth and, and forgetting the love. And I think that we have people, and I think that it is partially on the church as to why we don't mix both together and we don't literally obey the Bible because it's a Bible yeah. verse. Yeah. And um, I think that we have like uh, some pastors and, and some people in the culture who just become political pundits, and they don't they don't actually change anything. They're just sitting there talking about, they're getting their clicks on YouTube, they're getting their clicks on Instagram, but they're not actually changing the culture, because that's ultimately what we want. We don't want to just speak things in, into existence. We want to say, okay, we're, what are we going to actually do? So how do we, how do we navigate um, moving from, yes, speaking the truth as Jesus did, but also doing things that actually change the culture. Because we can sit here in a church all day and, and worship God, and, and that's great. Yeah. But how do we actually yeah. go out and do and do the things that change culture? Um, well, love is a verb, so like love does, right? So we speak against abortion, but we support Bethesda House, who takes in and supports women who don't have support, who are afraid to raise a child. Hmm. We, we support Your Options Medical, which provides a... Um, portable, like, what do they have, like an RV, where they have ultrasounds and all that. So, like, it's one thing to say abortion's a sin, and we should say that. It's another thing to say, and here's what we want to do to support the women that are, that are in a crisis. So, and, um, so that's on, that's a love side of things, and I think outside of the church, we should be more vocal with whatever platforms God has given us about the cultural issues that need a prophetic voice so everybody has 
Facebook, everybody has Instagram, or most people do, or some kind of platform, or you have a job that you work at or somewhere, and you can, you can, uh, you can use that, whatever platform God has given you, to speak to culture. Mm -hmm. Now, some people have lost their jobs over that because they stood for their religious convictions. And I think we have to use utter wisdom when it comes to that. We're not like just out there, here's a chip on my shoulder, try to knock it off. Because yep. then that would violate speaking the truth in love, right? Right. So we're always building bridges to lead people to Jesus so their heart can be transformed so they can do something different. Does that, are you looking for something? Yeah, more? no, that, that's good. I, I think I agree with like in terms of the, the abortion issue. I think that's the, the, I mean, it's one of the biggest issues. If not, I mean, it is the biggest issue in, in our culture in terms of the church affecting it. And I think we lose so many people when we just say. So I like what you said about the Bethesda House and what they're doing. And like, and yes, the, the saying part is important and the speaking part is important, but we need to be out there and saying like, we're giving up things, you know, we're giving up our time. We're giving up maybe our, our time um, doing other things that are enjoyable to go out and help these people that genuinely need it because that's what the disciples did. They gave up their lives. Jesus gave up his lives yeah. for other people. So, no, I, you answered it, it good in, in good, terms yeah. of yeah. Um, actually going out and doing it and sacrificing. I mean, like, I play video games, and I'm like, well, what am I doing? I mean, I could be, like, we need to live radical, and I, I do this in my own life, and I'm like, yeah, there's a time for fun, obviously. But, like, we need to live so radical that the culture has no choice but to see Jesus in us. So I think that that's what we People miss. People your age should read um, John Piper's book, Don't Waste Your Life. Hmm. Have you read it? I've, I've read some excerpts, but I should probably read it. <laughs> it will really challenge you if yeah. you want to be challenged. Yeah, for sure. It's, yeah. So, anyways. Yeah, there was, um, I wanted to bring up, uh, since, since we have you here, I wanted to bring up the, uh, the Teens Against Gender Mutilation rally that oh, yeah. you spoke at back in June. I was so impressed with you, man. Oh, you, thank you are gifted, dude. I appreciate dude. that. You are so gifted. Thank you. Proud of you, man. That. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, we're still running Turning Point, and he's the vice president now, actually, so... Um, Congrats. and I, I just wanted to bring that up because you yeah. gave the gospel at the end and it, it was that, that event was unbelievable. I mean, we, we had some, we had like probably, I think it was like 16 protesters showed up, yeah. but I mean, I don't know if it, if they were just calm, but the way that you, I don't know, brought them in, I really think encouraged them to listen and not just mm. be there and protest, mm. you know? And we got to have some really good conversations with them afterwards. I know my buddy Seamus and a couple other people were giving them the gospel. And, and it was a really good, really, really good opportunity to, to speak truth, speak the prophetic voice, because we were saying truth very plainly, but also presenting the gospel in a pastoral yeah. sense. So I think... Michael King was a rock star. Oh, yeah, he did a great and job. And the data is mm. very helpful to show, oh, yeah. um, you know, this is what's happening and this is why... It's not a good idea to go this way in culture and with some of the things yeah. that people are doing, with, especially with the mutilation. Uh-huh. Yeah, because we, we had Chloe Cole oh, there, she detransitioner. She did a great job, oh, my yeah. Goodness. And before the event, um, I've spoken about this on the podcast before, but going around to churches beforehand was quite the process, trying to promote this event through the churches and get pastors activated and encouraging pastors yeah. to talk to their congregations about this. And you were one of the few pastors that actually responded. Uh, some had me, you know, speak to their congregation, like Pastor Paul Jaley. Um, but there were some who seem, who didn't respond, who I know personally, I, re I respect them, but sometimes they just didn't respond, or they, or they, um, or they, uh, they basically just said no. Right. 
uh, how would you and it, it was really only because reading between the lines of what they were saying it's because we're church we only preach the gospel we don't get involved in politics the common evangelical american church line that is yeah. so tired and is so out of out of style with what's going on in culture today how would you encourage those pastors to leave a state of cowardice and step into boldness and biblical manhood and speaking yeah. truth in love. Yeah, and I, I just have so much respect uh, for pastors. I know what it's like, what we go through. Um, and so what, I, what I'm, what I'm going to say is not like, hey, I got it all figured out and you need to do like I'm doing. I'm not, I don't have that attitude. But what I do feel is that to pray for courage and step out in faith, when I begin to be more bold, I've always been straight up, but I went to a different level. Um, the bolder I got, the more our church flourished. Everything, like more people came. Hmm. Because they're, way, they're going to work and they're hearing all of the wokeism. They're, they're hearing all about the DEI stuff. They're listening to long videos. They're having to watch this stuff that they don't agree with. And people are like, where do I fit with my values? And if they go to church and it's kind of watered down and the pastor isn't bringing forth what everyone's talking about mm. all day long, then they're, they're not going to feel like they have a refuge. It's confusing. It's confusing. Yeah. And, and they're waiting. Please speak about these issues. Yeah. And so I think it's a matter, I think most pastors really probably imagine and desire to to step into it they're afraid of the consequences mm. and let's not underestimate in some churches the consequences are very real yeah. i have a friend that basically was driven out of his church because he spoke about some cultural issues and certain church polities are structured where the congregation is has the rule and some pastors are almost like employees of the congregation mm. where that they don't have a lot of authority or power. So there's consequences to pay. But I would say step out in faith and do it anyways. Mm. Courage is basically doing it afraid. Yeah. Um, and what I've seen is God honors when we boldly proclaim all of his word, not just one side of his word, but all grace and truth, mm. grace and truth. So our church has grown um, in, in numbers. Again, everybody says, oh, you, you're all about numbers. No, I'm not. I'm about souls. I care about souls. More people have come to Christ because I've been bold. More people have been discipled because I'm bolder. The mo money, there's, there's been greater giving since I've been bold, bolder. Uh, there's, we shouldn't be afraid to be a prophetic voice in the culture, you know, yeah, and I'd say Jesus was pretty bold. Yeah. <laughs> when, he, when he knocked over the tables in the temple, I don't think he was saying, oh, I'm sorry, guys. You know, I didn't really mean to do that. Right. Like, he knew exactly what he was doing, and he knew why he was doing yeah. it. Yeah. Right. And I think that that's when we, that's why the, the relationship with Christ has to be like, we are doing this in a humble spirit of boldness. It's, it's weird to those two combined. But we're saying we know that what we're doing, it's not, it's not us doing it's not our will it's yeah. god's will and in that why would i not be bold for god's yeah. will it's, it changes your whole 
your whole paradigm of looking at things. Yeah, and, and, and yeah. I'm not saying that there wouldn't be a consequence. I'm blessed right now yeah. that the consequences are on more on the positive side. We've lost we've lost people, and that breaks my heart. Um, but some some pastors would probably pay a great price. They may not have an increase in giving. They may not experience the numbers growing. But we have to already decide that I decided I will be bolder and more prophetic whatever the cost. Mm -hmm. You know, and the enemy comes at you harder too. Yeah. So I paid that price, believe mm -hmm. me, I paid that price. So yeah, but you're right. I mean, it's <laughs> it, the the end the end of the story is we're going to answer it to Jesus Christ. Right. Um, for whether or not were we cowards, because cowards don't have a place in the kingdom of God. He spits That's, the lukewarm out of his mouth. Yeah. yeah. So um, I would encourage pastors that I love pastors, I minister to pastors, I coach pastors, I serve pastors. I would encourage them, do it afraid, and do it with wisdom, mm -hmm. real wisdom. Yeah, courage doesn't having courage doesn't mean you're not afraid. <laughs> it just right. means you're stepping yeah. out in faith. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I, I don't know if you know uh, Paul Washer. He was yeah. he's a pastor, and he was telling a story of how he was out in like the Amazon rainforest, and they had to go through a um, they were on like a small little like dinghy boat, and it was there were spiders all around, and there was like all kinds of all kinds of things. And he's like, I wasn't scared. I grew up on a ranch. Like I I dealt with these kinds of things. But the guy next to me was a pastor that I had known for a while, and you could see him in the corner, and you could tell that he was scared. There's not a good word to say, but he was very scared, <laughs> and. Um, and but he did it, and that made them no different. It didn't matter that yeah. that Paul Washer was not scared right. and that this guy was scared. It matters that they both did it. Right. So I think that's that's been a big thing in my life is like, oh, I'm scared, therefore I shouldn't do it. I should wait until I'm not scared yeah. to do it. Right. And I think that's what brings a lot of, about a lot of cowardice is not being willing to to do the th the thing that you need to yeah. do. Yeah, that fear can be paralyzing if you let it control you. Yeah. 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 Prophets in Scripture don't have a good track record of things, <laughs> of the blessed life. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, you know, hat, heads come off and, yeah. oh, you know, end up in prison and all kinds of things. So, but nonetheless, look at John the Baptist, right? But look at look at how Jesus um, really affirmed him as the greatest yeah. prophet. Yeah. So and what matters is what we do for eternity, right? Yeah, yeah I, sure. such a good point. I think we need to start thinking... One, two, three, four generations ahead. Not like, not even looking at our own life and saying, "Oh well, you know, if I live eighty years and I don't see the fruit of my work in those eighty years, then I failed." It's like, no. There's so many people that in their own life they might not have seen all the the fruit play out, but the things that people have laid out before us, and I'm seeing this now in my own life. Things that I see people do in the '50s, '60s, '70s, listening to to preachers, yeah. and I'm like, they laid that for me, for my generation, for my time, and I think that's so powerful and it's so such a testament to the faithfulness of God and that, again, it has to be it has to be for God. It can't be for looking at the world and all the things that are going on. I think to encourage pastors, too, would be to say, you know, read, if you haven't read the book, Live Not by Lies by Rod Dreyer. Have you read that? No. It is phenomenal. And he what he does is he takes the history of the Eastern Bloc nations under the Soviet rule. and And it really, like, the fact that they overcame that and the wall came down and all that was because Christian leaders led the way to be voices. They decided not to live by lies. And some of them paid heavy consequences. Chuck Colson writes about it in the book, The Body, which you, should, you would love that book. Uh, leaders that said, you know what? Come what may, we're going to speak the truth. 
They had underground academies. They had all kinds of stuff. And it was the Christian leaders that united people who were anti-communist, not necessarily all Christians, mm -hmm. kind of like what you guys are doing with Turning Point. And it united people. And it was it's always the liberty that we find in Christ. That message inspires the leaders to then bring other people into freedom. So they... It is a phenomenal book. It was the, one of the best books I've read in the last three years. Wow. Live Not By Lies. And, and it'll help you grow a courage and be inspired to be to have courage. Yeah, I think we've got to wrap it up here. We're reaching the time. But thank you so much. Yeah, for more time if you want to go a few more I minutes. Mean, it's up to you. Do you have, I mean, do you want to add any closing statements? Is there anything that's been on your heart that you want to, you want to speak about specifically? Or? Um, I'm really excited about the renewal in our church, and I've heard of other churches around the country too, of like reclaiming the mission and the ministry of Christ, not just the teaching and the preaching, which are the most, I think the, the most prominent and most important because of what it results in, but to believe God for real change in people's lives, transformation, and I had mentioned earlier that, you know, we we kind of by accident started doing more deliverance work because people demonized were it was obvious that people were showing up, not like big crowds of people, but mm -hmm. a person here, a person there. And we saw like, you know, the we understand our authority in Christ, which Jesus lays out so well, mm -hmm. and Paul the Apostle as well, like in Ephesians, what a book about that breaks that down. But, but to see like that it seems as though the hordes of hell have come out have come out a lot stronger in these days, I think because we're moving away from um, um, truth mm -hmm. and it's opened the doors. Look at witchcraft has gone through the roof. The occult has gone through the roof. So what we're seeing is real transformation by stepping out, believing that Jesus truly does deliver people. Mm -hmm. Jesus is not only the deliverer, but the healer. And when we make room and we give people the place to pray for them, anoint them with oil, pray over them, people are getting healed all the time. So I think our generation, especially maybe Gen Z, or just to see, wait, this isn't just academic. This is like powerful life-changing life-changing this is jesus now through the church greater things will you do john 14 jesus said you'll do greater things because the holy spirit's poured out mm. poured out the gifts of the spirit can you talk a little bit more about how addiction has played into my generation in what you've seen in the gen z and dealing with um maybe that it's shown itself through um demonic um I don't know, possession or whatever you call it uh but how have you dealt with addictions through this church? So I think it's coming in through, well, I mean, there's a, this is a massive topic, but I think one of the ways it's coming in is because anxiety levels have gone through the roof, right? Uh, people are isolated. Mm. They're on social media. It doesn't um, make anyone social. It makes them antisocial. And through with that comes a lot of anxiety. You're comparing yourself with others. This one's looks much better than me. Is doing has a much more exciting life than me. But brings anxiety. Anxiety then moves people towards self medication. Mm. Now what we've done, of course, is legalize marijuana. 
we had a drop-in center here uh, with with all the different um, organizations that are helping with addiction in the community. So this, our church became a place every, every other Tuesday where we had every resource you can imagine for people struggling and want recovery, families, parents that are struggling. Um, and so what we found, we did the questionnaires, 65% or so of people said that marijuana is the, was the gateway for me to eventually get to fentanyl, heroin, mm. whatever, cocaine, whatever. Yeah. And so we found that in our own data. Mm. So now it's legalized, much more accessible. And so our own numbers tell us it is leading toward greater addiction. So I think it starts with the need for self-medication, and then they take steps toward, well, I'll never get to heroin, but many of them do. Mm -hmm. I've done the funerals. I've done the sad stories with young people, and their parents are crying, and their wives or children even, and, and people a little older. So I think that the addiction is is ba basically the, the departation from truth and God has created a vacuum, mm. created a void in hearts. Well, and really what it is, it's, it's captivity. And that's what Jesus said. He, he came to set the captives free. And I think a, a big thing, too, is when you have these people that get out of the addictions, their testimonies are, oh, my. When the Teen Challenger comes to our church and, like, yeah. the testimonies right. they have of, like, how did they even survive? Like, how, And it's, it's such a testament to God because we can go through all the logical arguments for God and all these things. But um, the Bible talks about how, like, the power of your testimony is, is the most powerful thing. And it's, like, to see, like, this is... It's not just a coincidence, you know what I mean? It's like, oh yeah, you know, it must have been a coincidence that this coincidence that this guy rolled over, third like twenty five cars in a month, had twenty five different cars and rolled them all over and crashed and didn't die, and then the next month he finds Teen Challenge and then he's saved by Jesus Christ and now he's preaching the gospel. Like, oh yeah, but no, that must have just been a coincidence. No, it's it's Jesus and he's he's there and you can't you can't chalk that up to anything else. Mm -hmm. So I think that. Um, in a generation where, in even with like the phones and the and the drugs and everything that we're stuck in, and I've had this in my own life, is that we're looking for an experience. We're looking for the thing that we're chasing is is God. We don't we don't really know it. And I, I said this a little bit before, but I think that acknowledging that Jesus is the only one that can fill that hole, that void in your heart. We all have a God shaped hole in our hearts, mm -hmm. and just seeing that and seeing the real lives transformed is like. It fires me up, and it's like I just want to. I just want to go out and, and do whatever I can and, and yeah. share my story. So, well, I, I know addiction was a big big thing to bring up right at the end, but I, I thought I thought it really <laughs> oh, speaks no, it's, to our it's generation. It's, and it's so it's yeah. such an issue for uh, for our generation. So you know, we started celebrate recovery here a couple of years ago. One of the hardest ministries that we started because it is the realm of of helping people get liberated from bondage. Mm -hmm. And so the enemy, it's like the enemy doesn't want the church coming into the, his territory. I love what Jesus said, right? Upon this rock, what rock? The gospel mm -hmm. proclamation like Peter just proclaimed. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Upon this rock, I, Jesus said, will build my church. So the more bold we are with gospel proclamation, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God to salvation to the Jew for first and also to the Greek. But um, once we understand that, um, you know, uh, addiction needs needs a gospel carrier, but what happened is we were trying to get this thing going 
and the all of it seemed like all of hell was against it. We even mm -hmm. had one of our leaders who was doing so well died of an overdose. Wow. So we're like, oh my God. It was like being decimated, the leadership. We couldn't even get it off the ground with leaders who were committing because they were go going, getting attacked. But it's mm -hmm. been off the ground now for two years and thriving. Um, awesome. So awesome. it, it's, it is a, an absolutely essential ministry. Not every church can do, can do that because they're just, you have to have the right people who have the passion and, and they have leader, leadership skills. But yeah, it's, it's a beautiful time to be a Christian and to, yeah. do, to do the work of for Christ sure. yeah. on Amen. this earth. Thank you, Neil, for coming yeah. on the podcast. How can Great. people uh, find you, support you? How can people support the church? Well, if they want to go to americashometownrevival.com, we would love for them to see that and pray for us. Um, we, we, we have so many other great churches around that we partner with, so we're not the, the big show in town. We're all working together. And, um, but pray for us um, as we step out in faith. We, we're, we're about to take on $6 million in debt. Oh, boy. Oh, <laughs> um, boy. We've raised about oh, Dave Ramsey. Three, three million plus, <laughs> yep. And that's why we believe that God is going to, he's going to help us with that. So we have, we have great faith, and we're doing it because God called us to do it. So... We're awesome. excited about it. Thank you, Thank Neil. you, guys. Thank you Appreciate so much. It. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in to the Sons of Liberty podcast. My name is Sam Mealy. My name is Hunter Young. And we are the, the Sons, Sons of, of Liberty. Liberty.